0: welcome to episode number 148 of the Northern Miner podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I'm the online editor of the Northern Miner. I also take care of most of the social media where you'll find previews of our stories, retweets of some of our friends in the mining industry, and announcements of upcoming events, even previews of new series, such as the launch of our new TNM Leaders series, where we ask some of the top mining executives about their philosophy of life and business, how to deal with tricky situations, and yeah, even including stuff like what books do you read, what inspires you, you know, how do you manage difficult employees, etc. So it's actually, it's pretty interesting, and uh, we're launching one a week. And so, yeah, if you check out our social media, you'll see the announcements. Or you can just go to northernminer.com slash TNM leaders. You can find us online at northernminer.com and on Twitter at northernminer, on Instagram at The Northern Minor, and on Facebook and LinkedIn. Turning to the website, we have a pretty interesting headline right now. Security measures critical amid heightened risk in West Africa. And it's a summary of a conference that was put on by the Australian High Commission in Accra and the Australia-Africa Minerals and Energy Group, which represents Australian companies engaged in the development of Africa's resource industry. And it sounds like there's increasing concern about the security situation in West Africa. Uh, William Witham, CEO of the Australia-Africa Mineral and Energies Group, says Quote, with the mining industry in the region facing threats from kidnapping for ransom, direct action raids, and denial of access attacks, companies are encouraged to engage in risk management and mitigation, and complete risk assessments and a risk registry. Sounds like they are basically saying, if you haven't taken care of your security situation or looked at it, and you're working in West Africa, you might want to check that out and that you should start dealing with it immediately and don't go in there without a plan. Further, another very interesting component of this, and you see like people sometimes think of mining as this sort of uh, not central in the economy, it's sort of the, you don't see it on CNBC every day, let's put it this way. Um, but what's really interesting about mining is, in a sense, they're like reporters. They, these guys are working all over the world. And they are literally digging up the dirt in all over the world. So these people are pretty spread out, these mining companies. And so a lot of the politics of the world, they are the first to experience it. And what's extremely interesting in this article, and I'm gonna read a paragraph, uh, is that the threats seem to be, there's a terrorist threat in West Africa and it seems to be shifting from religiously themed terrorist threat to an income and protection type terrorist threat, which sounds more like uh, mob activity. And so I'll just read you this paragraph. While threats over the past 12 months have shifted from historic religious drivers to varied and overlapping factors, including income and protection, Growing risks exist where terrorist groups, new violent extremist groups, and coalitions are increasing the tempo of complex attacks via local disgruntled groups. So it all sounding scarily sophisticated. Further, the summary continues. These terrorist groups are focused on addressing the concerns of local communities and exploiting community divisions and regional vulnerabilities often engaging a combination of intimidation, exploitation of ethnic tensions and financial control to gain influence. And Glenaskeu Australian High Commission Chargé d'Affaires said, quote, "Unfortunately, large ransoms paid by some countries and people have helped sustain terrorist activity, and we are worried that it is possible that extremist groups will shift focus to commercial targeting in the future." this requires a more securitized approach to mining operations and the australian high commission in consultation with other key stakeholders will explore opportunities for further mining industry-wide initiatives to improve safety and security for personnel and assets in the region so it sounds like the australian high commission is concerned about the situation and are on the case they're saying we're on this and we're looking and we're looking for ways to secure your assets and your people. So, very interesting headline there on the Northern Miner homepage. And further, we have Premier Gold. They keep extending their mine life at their Mercedes Gold Silver Mine in Mexico. Now, they've been doing this since 2016. There's a quote from Edwin Downey, the company's president and CEO. Quote, we've got about a four to five year mine life based on current reserves, and that was the life when we bought it in 2016. So we've been successful in replacing reserves every year. And so it sounds like they're pretty confident that they're going to keep extending the mine life at Mercedes. And yeah, they're drilling the property pretty hard, according to our senior reporter and acting editor in chief, Trish Sable So it's also worth checking out. Another deal that is kind of controversial is the proposed Pala purchase of Cobalt-27 Capital, which is being bought for $501 million by Pala Investments. And Pala already owns 19% of the company. And the concern seems to be there's a private fund called Anson Funds And their concern seems to be that the cobalt stream that cobalt 27 owns on valet's world-class Boise's bay nickel copper cobalt mine in labrador beginning in 2021 is worth a lot more than what pala is paying for it and so they are sending out a warning and basically saying that the company has been undervalued the reply from Cobalt 27 is that nickel prices are going up and they're holding on to their nickel assets and cobalt has gone down recently so a lot of Anson Fund's concern is the company is being sold while cobalt prices are low and that they're going to go back up. Cobalt 27 replies they're still going down and we're lucky to get what we're getting from the sounds of it. So you can read all about that. The title is Proposed Deal Undervalues Cobalt-27, Anson Funds. And finally, on the website, we have another environmental story. Uh, The Armenian government has cleared the path for Lydian International to develop its Amulsar deposit. Lydian has been undergoing a protest since June of 2018, so over a year. It's a lot of citizens, and they sound like they're concerned about their water, and that the the main water source being polluted. And they're also concerned about endangered animal species. And that includes the world's rarest big cat, the Caucasian leopard. And there are only thought to be 10 of these in Armenia. And so from the sounds of it, it's pretty emotional. This is an illegal blockade. And even though the government has ruled in favor of Lydian, it sounds like the protests are continuing so that's also on the website and turning to metal prices at we go to our friends at infomine.com we have gold staying strong above fifteen hundred dollars at one thousand five hundred and four dollars and one cent per ounce silver is at seventeen dollars even per ounce so a little down from last week at this time Platinum is at $845.84 per ounce and palladium is at $1,485.73 per ounce and copper is a couple of cents higher at $2.60 per pound but still hovering near its 52-week low and aluminum is at 80 cents per pound lead is at 93 cents per pound nickel is at seven dollars and thirty cents per pound and tin is at seven dollars and sixty-two cents per pound and finally cobalt is at fourteen dollars and twenty nine cents per pound This week, we're continuing our ongoing series of talks from the Canadian Mining Symposium held in London in May. And we're going to feature a special Yukon mining panel featuring the Premier of the Yukon, uh, Premier Sandy Silver. And we also have Graham Downs on the panel, he's the President and CEO of ADAC Resources, Brandon McDonald, who's President and CEO of Fireweed Zinc. John McConnell, president and CEO of Victoria Gold, and Paul West Sells, president and CEO of Western Copper and Gold. And they're all working in the Yukon. The panel is moderated by Andrew Cheadle, who is now senior vice president for Africa with Forbes in Manhattan. A lot of exciting things going on in the Yukon. It seems to be coming of age. The, The premier is very excited to bring more development into the Yukon, It sounds like he comes from the Yukon. And so it's interesting to hear what those guys are doing. It's a small population. It's got a huge mineral wealth and it's kind of underexplored. So you put everything together. It looks like a pretty interesting, the timing is right and things are coming together over there, but listen for yourself and see what you make of it. This podcast is brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. That's a group of juniors with mines and advanced projects in the Yukon. Check out their website at yukonminingalliance.ca and their Twitter feed, at investyukon. We'll take a small musical break and then we'll hear from the Yukon Mining Panel at the Canadian Mining Symposium this May in London.
1: Um, Next, we have the first of our Territorial and Provincial panels. Very honored this year to have both the Yukon return and British Columbia. Very exciting regions in Canada with an incredible track record for making great mineral discoveries. So allow me to introduce the moderator for the next panel. Andrew Cheadle, a Senior Vice President for Africa for Forbes Manhattan Group. As a professional geoscientist and a graduate of the Royal School of Mines at Imperial College, right here in London, so sort of a homecoming for you being here today. Uh, Andrew's worked extensively in the exploration and mining industry from the rock face to the boardroom and into the halls of government. Andrew's 25 plus year career has encompassed both the senior and junior mining sectors as an exploration geologist, a mine geologist and manager, and a mining executive. Thank you for joining us here today, Andrew. Thank you, and Anthony, thank you for the uh, very kind introduction and Congratulations on this event as it goes from strength to strength. And it's nice to be on Canadian soil in the UK. <laughs> Could I invite our panel, uh, a panel up, please? Just uh, the executives and the, and the premier, thank you. Just whilst uh, uh, our panel's coming to the stage, just a few words about the, uh, the Yukon, uh, which I've had the pleasure of visiting. And if I may, do touch base with Anne and pick this booklet up, Nine Fascinating Facts About the Yukon, um, and about nine reasons why you should invest in, in the Yukon. But uh, some of the statistics of the Yukon are quite uh, staggering. I, I think my favourite is that the Yukon is twice the size of the United Kingdom and has a population, if I'm correct, Premier, of 45,000. 41,000. That wouldn't quite fill Stamford Bridge football ground, uh, but I don't really want to think about Chelsea. Uh, so it's half the size uh, of uh, Wembley Stadium. Let's think about that for a moment. Twice the size of the UK. And a population that will fill half of Wembley Stadium. So it's a real frontier, and of course legendary from the, the, the contact, but we're going to have our CEOs talk about uh, their new discoveries, the developing minds, and why the Yukon is such a great place to be. But first, uh, Premier, I believe you're going to have a few words, and if I may, i have a great honor to introduce you. And I'm going to go to the, the script here, because it really is fascinating. Um, so. Premier Silver's appointment was uh, effective of December the 3rd in 2016, but not only is he the Premier, he is also the Minister responsible for the Executive Council uh, Office, which includes Aboriginal re- relations and intergovernmental relations and the Department of Finance. And whilst he's uh, living and working in a small, vibrant community of Dawson, um, the capital of, of the Yukon, uh, or the biggest city, rather, is, is Whitehorse of 35,000. I think Dawson's, what, about 15, Two? Two thousand. very small. But he's also been very active and involved in the education space and the First Nation communities and has supervised practicums for the Yukon Native Teacher Education Program and was involved with the Trondek Hwachin Justice Department and Restorative Justice. So he's also a very dedicated uh, participant in the Trondek Hwachin Moose Hide gatherings, which I'd love to hear about some other time. But uh, Premier, it's your time to, to speak. Let's hear about the Yukon. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you everybody for being here today. I'm very delighted to be here with a uh, a great panel to to discuss our territory. First, I'll start with where we are. Of course, we're we're in Canada's northwest and we're right next door to Alaska. I like to describe it as we are British Columbia's hat. And as uh, Andrew said, we are very large geographical area with a very, very small population. But it's, uh, it's absolutely my privilege to be the MLA, the member of the Legislative Assembly for a very historic region of Klondike. Again, to be there today uh, in such a, a progressive economy, and uh, political atmosphere as well. Yukon is amongst the top 10 most attractive uh, mining regions worldwide for investors, according to the Fraser Institute's 2018 Mineral Investment Attractiveness Index. Now, there are many reasons for that, and I'd like to highlight a few for you today. We have significant geological potential. We have ongoing investment in infrastructure. We have a very, very strong government-to-government relations with our First Nations, our Indigenous communities. There's political stability, as I mentioned, and regulatory clarity as well. Yukon is vast, as we were just explained, that it is twice the size uh, of of the UK. Natural Resources Canada estimates that Yukon hosted 8% of Canada's exploration and deposit appraisal activity for 2018. We have a very strong mineral sector ecosystem that is supported by our government. The uh, government's uh, Yukon Geological Survey provides the public geological data for over 2,700 mineral occurrences in the territory. This data provides baseline for many of tomorrow's discoveries. We are also de-risk early stage development uh, through Yukon mineral exploration programs, which provides huge leverage funding to the industry for those early-stage projects. In uh, 2019-20, this funding enabled, enabled $5 million in early-stage exploration projects throughout the Yukon. Yukon can seem to be quite far away. However, it's not as isolated as you would think. Our capital city, Whitehorse, has an international airport with daily flights from Vancouver, as well as regular flights from Edmonton, Calgary, Toria, Kelowna. We also receive direct flights from Germany in the summer. There are also 28 government-maintained airports and aerodomes as well as private airstrips throughout the territory. We are paving the runway currently as we speak in Dawson City, which is great for the mining industry as well for tourism as well. Yukon's mining industry can access three ice-free deep deep-water ports, which are also the closest North American ports to the primary Asian markets. We can shave four days off of travel time compared to Vancouver to the Asian markets. Now The territory also has 3,000 miles of government-maintained highways uh, and roads, and they are in the midst of significant upgrades. We have a program right now called the Yukon Resource Gateway Project, which is funded by government of Canada and Yukon, and also by industry being represented here at the table, that will provide half a billion dollars' worth of road and infrastructure upgrades. This project uh, increases the access to areas of high mineral potential, And an important strength that I'm very, very particularly proud of is our uh, steadfast government-to-government relationships with Yukon's indigenous population. These relationships are underpinned by constitutionally protected modern treaties and self-governing agreements that provide strong legal foundation for collaboration and decision-making in the management of Yukon's land and resources. They also provide transparency. Another advantage for investors, alongside our stable regulatory system and also a very competitive tax regime, Uh, in our first year of our mandate, we reduced the small business tax by 33%. I could go on, and I love going on about the Yukon and the Klondike regions, but I will uh, uh, let the panel of my esteemed colleagues here uh, help me to bestow the virtues of the mining industry in Yukon, but in closing, I want to be very clear that the Yukon represents the premier North American jurisdiction for all of your mining concerns. And I look forward to hearing from the panelists and also your views about the advantages of investing in Yukon. Thank you very much.
1: Premier, thank you very much. I think that's the first time I've seen a politician cut short of speech. Thank you. Well, we, we do have an esteemed panel of CEOs, uh, gentlemen that are from the frontier. The beard's on the right, the clean-shaven on the left. And just starting, Graeme, with yourself, uh, if we could just have a very brief introduction, who you are, and one sentence highlight about your, your company. Thank you very much. My name's
3: Graham Downs. I'm the president CEO of uh, ATAC Resources. We have a large gold polymica project in uh, north-central Yukon, Canada's only Carlin-style mineralization, and uh, we'll be actively drilling this year. Thank you very much. Hi. Paul Westell's
4: president and CEO of Western Copper & Gold. Uh, Western Copper & Gold is uh, developing one asset, which is the casino asset. We've been developing it for about 10 years. Uh, we're currently in permitting. This is a very large copper-gold deposit containing a total of 18 million ounces of gold and 10 billion pounds of copper. Thanks. Thank you. Brandon McDonald,
5: CEO of Fireweed Zinc. Uh, We have a large uh, zinc-lead silver project in Eastern Yukon, host to about 4.5 million tonnes of uh, contained zinc and lead, making it one of the largest
6: deposits in the world of this type, held by a junior. John McConnell, CEO of Victoria Gold. I think I'm probably, the uh, of this panel, uh, enjoying life the most right now. We are fully financed and building what will be uh, the Yukon's largest gold mine ever, producing over 200,000 ounces of gold per year. And Our first gold pour will be in September, so a few short months away. Well, congratulations.
1: uh, So the the Yukon is uh, a global, according to the Fraser Institute rankings, a, a global top 10 investment destination. And I I know how the rankings work. And, of course, you would have all participated in that. So, if you may, let's have some open conversation. What makes uh, the Yukon so attractive? Why did you rank it so high? Maybe, Brandon, maybe I could ask you to start the conversation.
5: Yeah, I guess um, there's a variety of prerequisites required for a jurisdiction to be highly regarded. I guess I would first mention prospectivity or, or mineral endowment. It does not matter your regulatory regime or the ease of permitting or whatever. If there is no mineral endowment, there is no attraction for investment. Mm-hmm. So the Yukon is a very large territory, has already demonstrated significant mineral endowment potential and incredible prospects for more. So I think that's probably driving a lot of that. Would you agree, uh, Paul?
4: Yeah. I mean, I would. the other thing I would add is that uh, it came in at number eight this year and that was actually an improvement over the previous years. And I think one of the things, I mean, one of, the thing, one of the knocks against the Yukon is people are worried about the infrastructure up in the Yukon. And as Premier Silver talked about, there's been a big investment both from the Government of Canada and the Government of Yukon into this Resource Gateway project, which is, you know, three very, very important roads that really open up very, very rich mineral areas. And if you look at the mineral area where we are, in that area, within sort of a 50-kilometer radius, there's 25 million ounces of gold and resource in that area. So, it's, and that's where two of these roads are going. So, I think it's measures like that that have continued to actually move the Yukon up in the rankings over
3: this year, as opposed yeah. to previous years. Great. I would just echo the uh, mineral potential and the stable jurisdiction. I think the world is getting smaller and smaller these days, and it's getting harder and harder to find, uh, you know, deposits in friendly jurisdictions. And I think with the rich history of mineral exploration and, and uh, plaster mining in the Yukon, it's just a, it's a, a welcome place to find new uh, new deposits. And and just from you know my short experience of you know since the 90s in in the Yukon, I mean the amount of places and, and, and areas that you can still find new deposits. I mean, just the fact that we've, you know, found Canada's only carlin style mineralization into 2010, I mean, it just shows you. And, and flying back and forth from these places and, and around the Yukon, you just, you, there's vast areas and, and there's a lot of potential to find new deposits in the Yukon, it's, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. And John, you, as you said, you're building the mine, you finished. Uh- yeah, I
6: think we're the poster child for uh, investment in the Yukon you know we acquired the property in 2009 between 2009 and 2018 we were able to raise more than 150 million to move the project through exploration uh, feasibility study permitting and then we were able to raise 500 million to build the mine so Uh, You know, people looked at the jurisdiction uh, very favorably. Groups like Orion Mine Finance and Osisko Gold Royalties made big bets on uh, Victoria and our team to execute, uh, but they paid close attention to the jurisdiction we're in.
1: Very good. And of course, Premier, you must be very happy to be in the top 10, but what are you going to do to become in the top three? What's <laughs> I, I think just keep on
2: uh, keeping on. Uh, you know, one of our best resources are, is our human resources, whether it's uh, the uh, local knowledge of the, uh, of the indigenous population or the exploration uh, population as well. Uh, we have on, on the ground construction companies, ground truthers, uh, the juniors, the strengths of, of decades of, of the juniors uh, uh, co- corporations. This jurisdiction is advanced already just with its human resources. Uh, the Geological Survey, we have Carolyn Ralph here uh, representing the uh, Geological Survey. World-class maps and, and resources. So again, you can land on the ground and, and be uh, immersed in a, uh, in a very professional climate of, of personnel And, you know, again, like we say, the the regulatory certainty is is what we have to keep on working on as a government. Relationships with with First Nations populations and governments, that's what we have to continue to work on. But, again, we have so many advantages compared to other jurisdictions when it comes to the human resources in in our region.
1: You've mentioned they're the First Nation relationships, and, and they are very important, and, and particularly the indigenous relationships uh, uh, are certainly looked at from outside as being very important uh, particularly uh, institutions such as the United Nations. But the front line, of course, is where those communities meet, is, is on, on your properties and your projects. And Perhaps I could also just ask, um, how are the relations, and, and what do you do, and uh, how do you go about uh, developing skills uh, in, in the region? John, let's start with, with you, because you've got uh, a large workforce now.
6: <laughs> well, my relationship with the new chief in the uh, NND is not very good right now, because I was in Singapore last week, and he phoned me at what was 3 o'clock in the morning, so I had to give him hell. And then I get to London this week, and he thinks he's, I'm still in Singapore, so he phones me again, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, he likes to FaceTime, so there I am in bed. <laughs> talking to them, you know, bad head. And, uh, anyway, we have a great relationship with uh, the First Nation we work with. Uh, you know, I can honestly say uh, many of the members of the First Nation are friends of mine. I own a home in the community, so I spend a lot of time there, and we continually work on our relationship. Carry on, on the line. Brenda. Yeah, I think that all of us have done
5: a lot of work in Yukon, and the more work you do there, the more uh, various projects you work on, you develop deep roots and good friendships. Uh, myself, I'm uh, the the community of Ross River, which is the the home of the uh, Ross River Denner Council First Nation, and is actually originally my hometown, mm-hmm. so we knew them uh, very well, and I think that. When you're working on one project the next and you spend so much time in in the community and particularly with such a small population you cannot escape getting to know these people so that that helps build the solid relationships because it's not something you can just drop in on have your meeting and then you know worry about it next time you have your next meeting it's 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 a perpetual need to engage and, and and a respect because these are your your community residents and friends and i think that you know it's this is driven in part by the fact that's what we want to do, but it's also driven by the fact that it is a new imperative of the world. And, and it's not just the United Nations. I had a meeting in Japan last year, and um, I was trying to explain this hot new drill hole we had done. And, and um, my counterpart in the meeting said, you know, the project's very good how are things with the First Nations and uh, how are things going on your road improvement? So even in, as far as Japan, they know that these things are absolute necessity, yeah. right? So yeah. whether, whether you're driven by um, moral imperative or financial imperative, you have to have
1: those relationships. Yeah, it's very very well said, thank you. Uh, Paul, just taking this theme uh, still and, and, and the relationships, there's been a lot of land claim settlement in, in the Yukon. What does it mean to you?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember the exact, it's 13 out of the 15 First Nations have settled. 11 out of the 13, I knew, I knew it was two odd numbers. And, and so what that means is, is that when you're, you're developing a project, there's boundaries, it's clearly cut in terms of the First Nations that you need to engage with and you need to consult with. And, I mean, that's part of, of what that means. The other part of what that means is that when you enter the regulatory phase, when you actually go through the environmental assessment the First Nations are actually fully scoped into that assessment. So that process, the environmental assessment process in the Yukon is unique to the Yukon. The way that the First Nations governments are woven into that process is unique to the Yukon and, and unique to Canada. So it gives you a lot of certainty as compared to you know, other regions where you don't have those uh, settlements with the First Nations.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I would just echo uh, the comments across the panel here. I mean, uh, it's really just about building trust and, and building relate, like any relationship and doing what you're going to say and and, uh, and and that's the most important thing. We, we've been doing that for over 10 years. Uh, we're an exploration story. We have exploration cooperation agreements and we continue to build that, but it's just maintaining relationships and just doing the right thing. I think we were one of the first or second groups that's done a joint decision document uh, working with the First Nation on settlement lands uh, with a potential road route. So that's really exciting and it's just really asking the First Nation, you know, here's here's a road into new territory. How would you like to do it? Can we work with you? Is this something you want to do? And, you know, it's, again, just comes back to relationships.
1: Yeah, I think those relationships are very, very key. of course, if we do work correctly and properly um, in, in the mining side of things, because we um, help to, to build community and, and develop nation. And the conversation is very key to that. So I'm going to just go a little off script, if I may, and say, you have the premier here. What's, what's one thing would you like to ask him? Don't be shy. Well, I have a few things. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what, what, what can the government do to to continue to help you? I mean, I, I think it's just to
3: continue on with working on, on getting the regulatory regimes. I mean, as, as junior mining companies, we always want to get things done faster, but we also understand the climate's changing on permitting and, 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 and environmental standards. And it's really just kind of keeping up with that. I mean, it's well-known in, in almost every jurisdiction. We just want to streamline things, and and the government's working hard at that. And, that yep. and that's what's important. That's all we ask is just to kind of continue doing that, working with the different agencies throughout the Yukon and, and seeing what, what can be done better, just like any company. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, the reason you, you heard silence is that uh,
4: the Premier is, and you know, with 40,000 people, the Premier is pretty accessible. So, uh, if yeah. we want to ask him a question, uh, we ask him a question right away. So, we don't have a lot of pent-up sort of questions that we want to <laughs> ask him right here. <laughs> you know, and I mean, obviously, I, I'd echo questions on, on regulatory issues. I mean, the advantage of the Yukon is that there's certainly regulatory certainty in terms of, I think, outcomes. What there isn't is in terms of timelines, and, uh, you know, I think... Everyone here will agree that, that the, the permitting timelines should be reduced. But I guess the other push would be, I mean, it's been a great initiative uh, with, with you know some of the infrastructure development that we've seen. Let's keep that going. Um, there's certainly you know, other areas and other infrastructure uh, investments that could be made to uh, benefit the industry.
5: Yeah, I, I think to echo Paul's point, uh, you can imagine if this was a Nevada panel, what are the odds you'd have the governor up here? you know, mm-hmm. do any, you know, you know small explorer developers in Nevada have access to that level of government? So, you know, we're able to uh, interact with government on the highest level in a way that other jurisdictions, it would be mind-boggling to them that's even possible, uh, you know. So for our project, um, you know, we, we have ongoing infrastructure needs that the government has been very responsive on and we're looking forward to more response on and, and it's that you can lobby and, and chat with the government is, is fantastic
6: in that regards. Yeah. Yeah, I just echo that, you know, Sandy and I, my family, you know, has a placer operation in his riding, so, you know, we see him a lot. Uh, He actually married my wife and I uh, 10 months ago. So you know, and we don't agree at all on a lot of things, but uh, (laughs) we do agree that, uh, you know, mining is uh, uh, necessary in the Yukon, and I think the fact that he's here, should
1: demonstrate that uh, the Yukon is open for business. That's very important. And, Premier, of course, you have lots of calls on your time. Um, you choose to be here. What, what, uh, what is your motivation? Why, why are you here? As goes mining, so goes
2: the Yukon. Uh, we have a long history of mining in the Yukon. It's very important to our economy. As a territory, uh, we're on a territorial formula financing from Ottawa and we want to have more own source revenue and the way to get own source revenues is through better relations with First Nations and uh, and better relations with both junior and major mining corporations. You know, there's not a panelist here that doesn't have my cell phone number. We talk all the time. The chiefs as well, they all are close personal friends as well. It's a small, tight-knit community. Some of the problems that we have are, uh, are the fact that the economy is booming. We have the lowest unemployment rate in Canada. and Uh, We're trying to get $300 million worth of uh, asset construction out as a government each year, and it's hard to continually... Uh, keep up with uh, with a progressive uh, industry. Uh, so these are really good problems to have. Those close, tight knit relationships are going to be the keys to that success. The ability for us to negotiate with modern treaties uh, is is, ex- is an exceptional uh, situation where we can uh, take a look at not just uh, relationships, but with governments, but also relationships with equity stakes in the First Nations development corporations. When it comes to developing, not only uh, you know royalty uh, uh, partnerships. But also community partnerships in, in developing subdivisions and developing the resources to, uh, to allow our Yukoners to flourish, but also our Yukoners to come back. I gotta give John, uh, well, and everybody here kudos, but with Victoria Gold, they have a great, uh, brilliant campaign right now going on. Uh, nationally saying, hey, Yukoners, it's time to come home. Uh, for a long time, our workforce was going to other jurisdictions uh, to find uh, employment. Now it's time to come home because uh, it's just an excellent opportunity and uh, the economy is booming because of mining. That's why I'm here. It's uh, very important to our jurisdiction.
1: You've also been, uh, for, for many, many many years now, for example, obviously, Anne and the Yukon Mining Association, been at these events time and time again through changes of government even. So this is a an uh, initiative that transcends changing government?
2: Again, one of the, the unique circumstances in the North that any government needs to wrap its head around is that modern treaties. You know, 40 years ago, the Chiefs went down to Ottawa with a document it's called Together Today for Our Children Tomorrow. This is a document that outlines uh, colonialism to date, 40 years ago, but also a pathway forward. Uh, not a not a handout, but a hand up, so that governments can work together. That document started at the beginnings of these self-governing agreements. We have two decades, over two decades, of self governing in the Yukon, which represents half of the self-governing nations in all of Canada that's very important and it's a strategic advantage that we have when it comes to regulatory certainty. We have because of these uh, modern treaties, the umbrella final agreement which is uh, protected under the Canadian Constitution, uh, we have one-stop shopping for water. We have one-stop shopping for environmental policy. Uh, You can't get this in other jurisdictions in Canada. There's always things to work on. We're trying to streamline those processes as much as we possibly can but it's the sophistication of these documents and the sophistications of any governments that are working together that is going to help uh, alleviate the concerns the, of, the, uh, of the financial districts, but also helps us in, in moving these projects towards uh, production
1: quicker. Yeah, thank you very much now Yukon is quite famous here in the u k for yukon gold in fact my along with ice road truckers is one of my mum 's favorite programs so you 're a real life yukon uh, gold digger how 's that changed your life?
6: <laughs> well, you know I know all the TV miners and uh, they're uh, you know, they're an interesting bunch. Uh, you know, a couple of them are actually not bad miners, but most of them are yeah. actors. Yeah. And, you know, but it is great for the economy of the Yukon. Uh, you know, not only brings tours, but they spend a lot of money in the Yukon uh, doing their sh- TV shows.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Any, uh, any of you also had a go at uh, alluvial mining?
2: That's one great thing about uh, the Yukon. You can come from any background and if you uh, have the wherewithal to want to try something new uh, that's, the type, it's, that's the type of community that will allow it. Uh, one of my first years up in Yukon I was teaching in Dawson City teaching high school math and that summer I went out and one of the actual real miners on that TV show hired me and uh, I, I ran an excavator and ran... Uh, uh, small uh, trommel system, so it was, a, it was a great opportunity to, to get in there and, and get to know the mining community. A very strong part of uh, the Dawson culture is, uh, is our placer
6: miner community. I will point out that he went back to teaching very quickly.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm a better teacher. So you didn't find much gold then, obviously, now <laughs>
2: We found gold. You know, it was interesting. that was a year where gold was under three hundred dollars an ounce, and uh, you know the uh, the efficiencies of uh, of the New Zealand miners and the the the, uh, the tremmel system. You know, you kept the, that industry going through those uh, those more meek uh,
1: uh, years. Very good. Well, we have just five minutes left. Five panelists. Maybe I can invite each of you just to close up with your thoughts on the Yukon and uh, a few words about your companies. Uh, yeah, starting over with you. Just uh, we we'll work our way and finish with the premier. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it.
3: Exciting year for, uh, for the Yukon, I think, with John's uh, coming to production. I think it's been a long time since the Yukon's had something like this put into production. I mean, 200,000 ounces a year, it's, it's a big mine, and, and, he's, and John's doing an amazing job getting this built up. So, you know, we're finally going to have that uh, mine up and running, and you can get these things done. There's power, and you know, we're, the government's working on roads. I mean, the Yukon is an incredible jurisdiction to be in, and uh, it's going to do a lot for the Yukon, so we're excited about it. I mean, we're just to the northeast of Victoria Gold and Eagle and Alexco, and yes, things are tough out there. But we've got 14 million in cash. You know, we're going to be doing a discovery drilling this year. I mean, and then with all the other groups here, there's a lot going on and a lot to look forward to for the Yukon. So it's going to be a great year. Good. Thank you very much.
4: Uh, yeah. I mean, I would just echo what, what Graham is saying. I mean, it, you've heard all morning, even if you're a mid tier gold producer, how difficult it is to raise raise capital in these markets. And you know, we were talking the other day in the fact that all the major Yukon uh, exploration companies that were able to raise money, including ourselves, this year. So I think it's going to be one of the few jurisdictions where there's going to be quite a bit of active exploration this year. You know, John's building a mine. We've got, you know, Newmont permitting the, the coffee project. A lot of exploration um, and, and a lot of potential there. And I think that, you know, the reason that we've all been able to raise money is that the potential of the Yukon, you know, our ability, you know, with some government help to continue to get out and get our story out has been important. And, and really it's the potential there is, is very, very significant. And so I think that uh, it's going to be an exciting year and look forward to seeing results from really a number of Yukon explorers this year.
1: Brandon, thank you very much, Paul.
5: Yeah, you know, one of the chief challenges when, when marketing the Yukon for a long time had been nobody doubted the geological potential, but it was where are the mines? right so so can you build a mine in Yukon with John's operations nearly you know the construction nearly done and, and potential restarts at Kino and an advanced permitting with uh, Western Copper and Gold and BMC and Selwood Hong. and I think very soon there's going to be quite a bit going on and it, and it makes it makes life easier for those of us in the advanced exploration progressing to development to be able to point yeah. and say no look it can be done it can be done well um, that makes our life a lot easier you know a project like ours this is a preeminence zinc exploration, transitioning to development stage project, and it's where you're starting to get the money who's not concerned about the hot drill hole, they're concerned about, okay, great, when can you build it, and can you get it permitted? And so, so to see the successes and the additional uh, ones in the pipeline is, is a big victory for us, and I think is really gonna get people looking seriously at, at uh,
1: the jurisdiction broadly as well. Yeah, thank you very much, Brenton, yeah, good points, John.
6: Yeah, you know, I think I would just be uh, repeating what my uh, colleagues have said, so I'll give my five minutes over to the Premier to conclude. It's just one minute. (laughs) (laughs) So that's six I have then.
1: Yeah. Okay, thank you.
2: Final final minute. Yeah, I just, uh, again, it's, it's an honor to be up here with, with these gentlemen. Uh, there's never been a better time to invest in the Yukon. We have the experience of the junior companies. We have uh, the, the infrastructure. We're working on every day advancing uh, the lives of Yukoners through uh, a, a greater equity stake with the indigenous populations in the mining industry, uh, whether that be directly through royalties or, or involvement uh, in, in mining projects directly, but also with the economic development branches of the First Nations governments building into an independent power production policy, uh, working on our infrastructure hand-in-hand with those governments and those communities. Like I say, it's, it's just an honor to be uh, the premier of uh, such a progressive area with such potential. So please, come on up.
1: Good, and thank you very much. It's been an honor to have you here. It's been an honor to have a panel of CEOs. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you.
0: does it for this week's episode of the northern Miner podcast as always you can help the podcast by giving us a review or by liking it subscribing to it and sharing it online the reviews in particular help us in the apple podcast directory so feel free to write to your heart's content and share it everywhere you can and tell your friends in the mining industry about it and let's give one last thank you to our longtime podcast sponsor yukon mining alliance that's all for now until next week take care